Good morning. My name is Brett McGarry, and his is Greg Mackling. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Brett. You excited for today? I am pacing myself today. Are you pacing yourself? It's going to yourself? be a long eh, 24 hours. Well, plus four, yeah, 28 hours between now and once we get off the air tomorrow. It's going to be a, a long stretch here, but I'm determined to make it work. Well, we're going to talk about a number, a couple of angles on what is happening tonight. Of course, the Winnipeg Jets play tonight at 8.30. And Greg, I'm sure, is a little nervous because, you know, it's the Jets, the game, got to win. And mm-hmm. uh, at 6.45, we're going to have coffee and talk about the anxiety of, of playoffs and how do we handle the stress that comes with the things that we love. I actually remember how I dealt with the stress when I back when I was a fan of the NBA when I was a teenager. So I'll tell you what I did when we talk about that at 645. And we're also going to speak with a sleep expert because there are going to be a lot of people who are up later than they're used to tonight. And for some, especially those in shift work, for those in shift who are used to not having a consistent routine, it's probably no problem to stay up a bit later. But for those who are tied to their routine, the same thing every day, it's hard to break that. For those of us that have raised children and know that a key to a happy child is keeping them on their sleep program, it's not just kids, it's adults too. And when we get off our sleep patterns, we can get cranky, we can get less productive, and it throws us off. So we'll talk to Diana McMillan later on this morning, one of our favorite guests to to talk about a lot of things. Her voice is so... Soothing. It's just, it, it. I don't know if it's just by chance or if it's by design that she has maybe the most relaxing voice of anybody we speak to, and she just so happens to be a sleep expert. <laughs> I see you've got your pillow and your blankie here, so in case you doze off, you'll be nice and comfy in your chair. Yeah, I'm ready to go. Although I, I can fall asleep. I have Sometimes I have a hard time falling asleep lying down when I go to bed, but I can fall asleep in almost any chair, which is weird. My brother always says, uh, you know, if you, can't, if you can't fall asleep, just pretend like you're driving on a highway. On a highway, just lay down, put your hands out at 10 and 2 and just pretend you're driving because inevitably that's when, when you feel sleepy is when you're driving on the highway. He says that's a good way to induce sleep. Now, yesterday, you and I, once we were done the show, we scattered we uh, to a couple of community causes. I was, I'll was i just quickly touch on where I went. I went to McDonald's at 3045 Pemina Highway. You go to McDonald's every day. That's not news. I don't go to McDonald's okay, every sorry, day. Sorry. Come on now. I, I used very quick. I, I got a job at a call center. It was on Main Street uh, just by Leela. And there was a, there's a McDonald's. 50 yards from there mm-hmm. and I w- and I ate there every day for three months and I gained 20 pounds um, because Super I was, size e- was eating yeah I was eating like double quarter pounders every day I was, so I was thin and fit going into that job and I have oh. never never recovered that was in 1998 anyway I uh, went to McDonald's yesterday McHappy Day in support of Ronald McDonald House which is such a wonderful organization that helps families uh, with kids who are in the hospital and I got to do this. So I get to call out number 987. Order number 987. Number 987. No one was coming. I have to go yeah. through here. Wow. So I had to carry it okay, out. Okay, so where, where am I going? Are you number 987? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Ew, here you go. Thank you. All right, thank you. Well, you, you finally yeah. found the food's proper destination. I did. Well, there were so many people in the lobby, so it was kind of like weaving through a labyrinth. But there was a, a henna tattoo artist was there, so Mike Conkin got a Jets 
tattoo logo. So I followed suit. I thought, hey, what? Why not? Looks great. Yeah, it, it was. It's, it was neat how it kind of. You know, at first it was sort of goopy, and then once it dried, you scratch it off, and now I have this makeshift Jets logo on my arm. How did Andrew Harris feel about your Jets logo? Andrew Harris from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers walked in like 10 minutes after I did that. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, (laughs) I actually, I have a picture of the tattoo and of me and Andrew Harris on my Instagram. You can just follow me at Brett McGarry on Instagram. I know Andrew Harris was actually at the Jets game on Tuesday night. He's a huge Jets fan, so it's all good in the hood, man. So you... Then we're, I was on at McDonald's on Pemina. You were somewhere else. Well, why don't we let Loren McNabb tell us where, where I was. Three of Manitoba's biggest hospital foundations have once again teamed up to help patients in need. The Tri-Hospital Dream Lottery was launched with proceeds from the tickets going towards new equipment to treat patients at Health Sciences Centre, Children's Hospital and St. Boniface Hospital. There are a lot of great prizes up for grabs this year, but President and CEO of St. Boniface Hospital Foundation, Vince Barletta, says everyone who purchases a ticket is actually a winner. Have a chance to win some great prizes like this beautiful show home, beautiful cars, boats, cash, Uh, but at the same time, win or lose, you're going to win because you're supporting three incredible hospitals here in Manitoba. So Vince co-hosts the Health Report uh, with myself and Chris Gladwell on Sunday mornings here on 680 CJOB. But I want to introduce you to someone that you've probably not met. And if you have met her, she's unforgettable. She's 2018 Children's Hospital Foundation of Manitoba champion child. Her name is Abigail Stewart. I'm 11. 11. Your birthday's coming up soon, so I'll wish you a happy birthday ahead of time. You said you're going to be singing karaoke as part of your of your birthday party. What are you going to sing? What's your favorite song to sing? Probably Katy Perry songs. Oh, I love Katy Perry songs. That's fantastic. I love it. So this is actually on Wednesday morning we're getting together. Shouldn't you be in school? We homeschool. You homeschool? What's your favorite topic? Math. Are you math wizard? <laughs> yeah. You are? Really? Like fractions and stuff? Or where are you at? Or are you doing algebra and all that sort of thing? I'm doing like the, I'm working on how to do like the perimeter of circles and stuff. 3.14, what's that? What's 3.14? That's code for? That's code for like to work on the circumference. Oh my gosh, you know circumference, radius, diameter, all that stuff? <laughs> yeah. Area of a circle? Yeah. Oh my gosh, you're so smart. So after Abigail and I got to know each other a little bit, and she trusted me a little bit, she knew that I knew my math, at least somewhat. She opened up to me with her story. I was four years old when I was when I first got diagnosed. Um, they found a three-inch tumor in my skull and a tumor by my eye. That's why my eye started to droop. Because there was a tumor right there. So were you scared at that time? Did you have a headache? Like what what took you to the hospital? What made your mom and dad decide to take you to the hospital? Um, There was a big bump on my head and my mom was worried that because it wouldn't go down. And uh, the doctor was like, oh, but kids just get bumps on the head. It grew every time that we went. And then my eyes started to droop, and they finally did x-rays. And that's where they found the tumors. So do you remember all this? Or are these stories that you remember from everyone talking about you? Um, I remember a bit, and then my mom has a bunch of pictures I looked at, and I asked questions. 
This is like a couple years ago. <laughs> so this is Abigail Stewart. And then she gave me a medical lesson. Multisystem Langerhans cell histiocytosis. Can you spell that? <laughs> I'm just teasing you. So what is that? Can you put it in English for those of us that aren't doctors? Uh, it's mostly called multisystem LCH. It's a rare blood disease where you can just get like a bump, like you can hit your elbow and then it will become a bump, like a regular bruise. And then it can just grow into a tumor because your white blood cells will mutate and attack the bones. Instead of working together with the body, it will attack the body, leaving tumors. Absolute honor to meet Abigail. Abigail, you should be sleeping now, but if you're listening this morning, good morning to you, my new friend. Brett McGarry and Greg Mackling with you. Make Poverty History Manitoba released a report Wednesday morning calling on the city of Winnipeg and Mayor Bowman specifically to make the implementation of a poverty reduction strategy a priority. Winnipeg without poverty calling on the city to lead includes more than 50 recommendations for the city's consideration, covering everything from housing and transportation to newcomer integration and employment. Lori English is with Make Poverty History. She says the city has never had a comprehensive plan to reduce poverty. We've done many ad hoc things to address various pieces of poverty, but we've never approached it with a comprehensive plan. And what we're seeing now, what we what we reviewed in this report is a number of municipal jurisdictions across the country are now looking towards this kind of long-term comprehensive investments in poverty reduction. And, and we're hoping now that our mayor and city council will step up and follow that lead. The report details poverty reduction strategies in other cities, saying Edmonton and Calgary have had success thanks to mayor-driven initiatives and hopes for the same. In Winnipeg. The thing with poverty is that the, the recommendations are so intertwined that it is really hard to separate them out from each other. I think some of the the, the ones I, I mentioned that we're seeing in Edmonton and Calgary would definitely have a quick uh, and meaningful impact. So low-income bus passes, um, the city can't itself modify minimum wage, but it can make a commitment to paying all of its staff a living wage and working with contractors that also commit to paying their workers a living wage. Um, that would make significant improvements as well to, to the lives of low-income Winnipeggers. Um, we have recommendations in the plan around housing and access to recreation. Uh, it's hard to choose just three, but, uh, but those are some of the ones that jump out to me immediately. Lori English with Make Poverty History tells us that based on a variety of criteria, the authors indicate that as many as 107,000 Winnipeggers are living in poverty. The report states 35% of Indigenous residents are below the poverty line versus 14% of non-Indigenous Winnipeggers. Exciting time to be a Jets fan, to be a Winnipegger, to be a Manitoban. Players aren't the only ones feeling stress. It's been a roller coaster ride of emotions for Jets fans. Today we're having coffee, talking about how we deal with anxiety and the emotional ups and downs of being a fan, about being passionate about anything, because it, it, it's an equation. You cannot feel excitement without feeling passion or affection for one thing or the other. Jeff, uh, what do you feel affection and passion for? Yeah, I, I don't feel a lot of anxiety about sports. Uh, I get it. I get into it, but. I also, I've always got in the back of my head that it's just a game, so I don't, it doesn't deprive me of sleep like it does you or anything like that. What a, I, I, I can't watch, I can't watch figure skating or equestrian stuff though, because it, it's, it is too much when they fall down or they wipe out. 
Especially the horses. Bugs you? Yeah, I, I just can't handle that. So I just don't watch it. So the, the, the fear of watching someone or an, an, just, an animal get hurt. Yeah, I'm just, and I'm just mortified. For the skaters, I'm just mortified for them because it's the worst thing that can happen oh. in figure skating, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So that does give me anxiety, and I just won't watch it. But you are very passionate about uh, all the TV shows and movies you watch. Yeah, that's true. I don't get anxiety about it. Okay. So you enjoy it or you don't. That's all there is to it. So no anxiety for the Emmys or the Oscars? No. no. All right. How about you, Kelly? I used to. when I Back when I was younger, I, I remember one time there was a series I was watching, and I was going ballistic uh, in the room that I was watching it, and my wife came out and said, Seriously, stop <laughs> stop acting like a two-year-old. It's just a game. So from that point on, I kind of realized, okay, if if I'm getting a little wrapped up, then I start to think about the things that really matter or, uh, you know, situations that could certainly be a lot worse than watching your favorite team go down in flames. So uh, that, that's kind of how I watch it. Now, I, I, I watch for the pure enjoyment of, of the moment. Uh, and I find that it's a lot easier to, to enjoy the hockey mm-hmm, game that way. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I guess it's just because it's beyond the hockey for me, right? It's what connected me and my dad for a lot of years was yeah. going to Jets games together. And for me, it's that Winnipeg on the crest. It's about how Winnipeg looks to the rest of the world and how this success, we're seeing it right now, how the way our city, it's not just about the hockey team, how our city is being yeah. viewed. But that and, battle has already been won regardless of what happens from here on absolutely yeah. absolutely but i, I think that's it's the just, greater source of the emotion yeah. for me is is the stuff outside the game and what it represents just that inferiority complex that's so deeply ingrained in so many Winnipeg. Yeah, that might be it <laughs> that might be it shanalee uh you know i've never felt that intensity for sports because i've never been a sports person growing up we never really watched sports in my family and i was always taught well it doesn't matter if you win or lose it's all about how you play the game so i kind of carry <laughs> that mentality throughout my life unfortunately but and then being a roller derby official right i could never cheer right or else you know it would look just i didn't want it to reflect poorly on me even if i wasn't officiating a game so i i kind of stuck with that and and whenever i would watch a game i'm always just watching the officials and watching for technical things but for this this, these playoffs now i've actually i've been watching the games with my mom and it's kind of like a bonding thing right so it's actually really fun to experience those ups and downs and to cheer and get really mad when they score when like some my mom gets upset when you know someone tries to rough up her man as she calls him you know uh don't rough my buff she says that's her thing so it's actually i'm really enjoying the the emotional roller coaster and how everybody is love it, loving it, right? And, and it's, it gives you something to talk about with people. But when it comes to watching like scripted TV shows, that's what I can't deal with. Um, there, I have stopped watching several shows because I can't deal with the emotional ups and downs. Really? Uh, Grey's Anatomy. I still on the air. I stopped watching it like five years ago. That show would make me cry every single episode. Somebody, somebody. Oh, somebody's gonna die. Oh, they. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, they're dead. They're dead. Oh, this happens. This happens. And then, and then the uh, one of the zombies. I think she's anxious and stressed out. The, now. It is. It is. It is so upsetting. And then the show with the zombies, the the Walking Dead. And then it's like you you know. And then. And then they, it's like, don't get attached to anyone. Oh, oh, zombie, zombie, zombie. There, these people have nothing good going on in their life, and it was just too much anxiety. And then, well, it's kind of the end of the world, right? It like, is. You know, I keep so. it just. And this, it's also fiction. It's fiction. It shouldn't be that terrible, you know. And then Game of Thrones. I almost stopped watching Game of Thrones because nobody told me the Red Wedding was going to happen. 
Well, that's the point of watching the show to find out what happened. You could have read the book ahead of time. I know I was supposed to read the book, and I had started reading the Game of Thrones book, so I I was good for the first season. But I didn't read the end of the book. Come up for air. It'll be okay. It'll be deep breath. Okay, deep breath. All right, that was intense. Good for you. Solid rant. Solid rant. This is therapy. I'm going to charge you for this. When I was uh, a fan of the NBA in the the 1990s, early 90s, when I was a teenager. Who's your team? I well, I liked the the Los Angeles Lakers uh, when in the Magic when Magic Johnson era. So when when Magic announced that he had to retire because oh, he had boy. gotten HIV, I was devastated by that. But uh, I always everyone cheered for Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls because he was the king. Oh. That's right. So I decided to go against the grain and cheer against the Bulls. So naturally, for there were six years in particular <laughs> where I was a miserable fan because <laughs> the Bulls won six championships. Did you ever buy a John Stockton jersey? No. Uh, I had a David Robinson jersey, though, at San oh, Antonio yeah. Spurs, oh, yeah, the yeah. Admiral. But uh, I finally, after the last championship, and I was walking around moping because the Bulls one again, I thought, why am I depressed about this? <laughs> I, You're I an anti-fan. So I just I removed myself from sports in general because I wow. used to watch uh, NFL primetime with my dad and I, I just kind of walked away from being a sports fan for a while. Uh, now I'm just kind of casually. That's why I, I like to make jokes about sporting because I, I know the sports, but uh, I can't be it a fan. It, it hurt you. It hurt you once upon a time. Are, are you now living vicariously through Macklin now, right now it is oh, yeah. coming oh. clear. Uh, Jerry? You know, I'm a pretty even keel guy. No, you don't <laughs> say. I don't know if you've noticed that. We've um, noticed. Yeah, But nothing, you do have passion for certain things. I do have passion for certain things, sure, but it's about enjoyment. If I'm not enjoying something, I'm not going to participate. If it's causing me anxiety, it's not for me. So I'm just going to put that aside and go on to something else. I mean, why would I put, this is all supposed to be about enjoyment. Anxiety is not enjoyment. Yeah. Why do you put yourself through it? I don't get it. Mm, I actually was experiencing, I had to deal with some of that yesterday. Jeff Braun always hears about this as one of the couch potatoes, but uh, my PVR is almost always permanently near capacity. (laughs) And yesterday it got up to 96%. And I just went to erase some stuff. I made some cuts. Yeah. I dumped a show called Life in Pieces, a CBS comedy that runs on Thursday nights. Yeah. I dumped uh, that a couple years ago. Yeah. I I had 23 episodes piled up and I thought I'm never going to watch this. How did did you take a deep breath before you press delete? And then they say, and then not only is it bad enough when you have to delete something, the computer says, are you sure Sure, you want to delete? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because I'm not second guessing myself enough already. <laughs> yeah, I had and I had to do it individually 23 different times. Oh. So it, it felt better actually. When I got it down to 80%, I thought, okay, I can breathe a little bit again. <laughs> I'm still never gonna get through all the stuff that I have in my PVR. Like for some people, they see it as a safety feature. You can intimate the the tone of the voice. Are you are you really? Are you really sure it doesn't say really yeah, at all? Simple solution to that one, Brett. Just get a second TV, get a second PVR. Oh, see, yeah. there you go. We knew that was going to be a sli- solution. Yeah, that's actually 
a good good idea. If you want to follow at JetsGirl76 on Twitter, she's a great follower. She just sent in a screenshot of her latest tweet from this morning. It's just a game. It's just a game. Yeah. It's just a game. <laughs> Hashtag who am I kidding? It's everything. Go Jets, go. Yeah, no, yeah. That, and and it's fantastic what has happened in this city. It really is, uh, and, and around the province for that matter. You know, I agree with you, uh, Greg. Just the fact that Winnipeg is now being showcased, mm-hmm. and and we're and people are seeing. You know, that's not bad. I was talking to a guy from Edmonton. Who said, I want to come to yeah. Winnipeg and experience this because this is being done better than it has ever been done before. Right, and so. Good on Winnipeg. If if anxiety is producing that, then let's have some more. Yeah, I really really believe that this is showing off to the rest of the world what we kind of already knew, what we've been kind of, you know, we've been shy about this side of who we are, and we're sometimes shy about being proud of being from Winnipeg, but we're letting all those inhibitions go right now, and it looks so good on us, so proud of everybody's getting involved in this. That's the biggest thing for me. I get tears in my eyes. Thinking about it. I got a text from my mom overnight. Boy, that PK Subban's pretty stupid, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Moore, Jeff Braun, Chandelier Vidal, Behind the Glass Jerry, thank you. I was born in a small town. And I live in a small town. It's time for the small town salute. A little bit earlier than usual. This week we are headed north to the town of Inwood. And we are joined live on 680 CJOB by Henry Hendrickson of Hendrickson Farms and the Inwood Hockey Rink. Mr. Hendrickson, good morning to you. Hey, boys, how are you? I'm all right, uh, but I got to tell you that there's a little bit of trepidation on going into this topic for Greg here because he's not the biggest fan of snakes. It's not personable. Right. You're not, Henry? Thank goodness. This is good. You don't like yeah, snakes either? I can't stand them. Oh, no, no, we 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 live about two miles from the dens and Narciss, and I can't stand them. So, wow, they're, they're gross. Yeah, they're gross, disgusting creatures. <laughs> but that's okay. Kind of like the Nashville Predators, I guess, right? Henry, Henry, <laughs> you are my man, Henry. I love it. Have you found? Have you come across snakes? Uh, you know, away from the dens in odd spots, or you, there must be stories of finding snakes in really strange places in and around Inwood. Oh, well, see, I live by Narcissus. Inwood is another uh, 14 miles uh, south of uh, Narcissus Snake Dens. They have their own snake dens, but Narcissus has, has the attraction of the garter snake den. Inwood always did have the garter snake dens many, many moons ago, and I guess they still do, but the uh, Narcissus has become world famous for it, so that's the only claim to fame up here. So for those unfamiliar with the area, let's say uh, those in, in within Winnipeg who often get accused of having perimeteritis, what do you call it, Greg? Perimeteritis? Perimeteritis, uh, yes. Where is Narciss? Where is Inwood? Uh, Inwood is uh, 15 miles northwest of Toulon, Manitoba on Highway 17, and Narciss is uh, 30 miles northwest of Toulon on Highway 17. So why are there so many snakes around there? I don't know. That's I. I that's I don't know. I, what I. I don't think anybody could ever ask and answer that question. I mean, there's uh, whether it be the ground formation, which is bedrock so close to the surface, and the whole. I don't know. That's uh, that's you'd have to ask one of the biologists to come out there and study those things. <laughs> I don't know. What, uh, 
They're just they're they're slimy and they're creepy. I gotta agree with that thing. I don't agree with them a lot of stuff on a lot of things on the air, but I'll agree with them on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is great, Henry. Hey, I'm looking at a picture of uh, Sarah and uh, Sam, the two garter snakes that are sort of the uh, mascots, one of the the big things in Manitoba that you see up in Inwood. Those are enough to creep me out all on your own. But you are very. Very involved in something else that goes on in Inwood uh, at the community hockey rink. Tell us about your involvement there, Henry. Uh, well, I was born and raised in Narcissus. and played. Uh, we played all our sports out of the Inwood Arena, and uh, as a lot of the rinks are dying in every town, not just ours. But uh, the, a few years ago, my son, who is he's seventeen now, he's uh, him and all his buddies in school. They've been making the ice at the rink and just to keep it open, and then it was finally like either it was either uh, they needed some help just to get money because there was no money left. So I just kind of uh, went in there and tried to help out and started getting some fundraising going, some tournaments, and the boys started a GoFundMe page that was started by Graham Moore, um, and uh, it kind of we had a little bit of success these last couple of years. People loved it. We did a few uh, tournaments. We uh, started promoting it a little more we do have natural ice which is uh something you don't see very often you know to have a rink with real ice but and uh, we have a cheap rental rate of 50 dollars an hour which is the cheapest rate in manitoba i haven't seen a rink anywhere cheaper than 50 dollars an hour for ice our ice is kind of soft right now though we can't rent any this week but <laughs> uh, so if it cools down, but it is not a total. We could be minus 10 by next week, so we might have ice again. So let's not, uh, Henry, you guys have a golf course around there, right? We have, uh, Inwood has a lot of great things. Inwood Golf and Country Club, which is owned by a good friend of mine, Ed Wallach. Um, a beautiful 18-hole course. Um, and uh, with the number two tee-off box being, I believe it's an elevated tee-off box of 32 feet in the air. And you can tee off over the trees for your number for your number two tee off. We have a great high school or a great school, a K to twelve school, which is only ten years old, just built. Um, a lot of great things. Uh, we have a garage and gas station, a grocery store, hair salon, a restaurant, um, you know, post office, uh, baseball diamonds. We have a couple of other companies like the uh, Interlake Water Supply, a well drilling company, and uh, Plumber, plumbing company, and uh, a couple other plumbers in town. It's a gr- it is a great little town with very cheap housing and a and a close distance to Winnipeg, right? All right. Well, hey, Henry Hendrickson of Hendrickson Farms and the owner of the Inwood Hockey Rink. Thank you for having some fun with us this morning. I know that uh, he says he. I know you love CJOB most of the time. Also, got to mention Inwood is hosting a goose shoot this September, based out of the rink. Small town salute brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort, where service sets them apart. SouthBeachCasino.ca. And that goose is waiting for uh, Jeff Braun to come out. That's right. One of our two geese is just sitting atop the roof right next to us, kind of looking down. I guess he was watching Jeff as he was reading the news. Uh-huh. Watching from above. Well, I don't know where he's sitting tonight, uh, but our next guest is on his way to Winnipeg for tonight's Game 4 between the Predators and the Jets. We can expect a sea of white. On Tuesday, I saw exactly seven, seven Nashville Predators jerseys. There was a group of four, 
and then a, a one individual in the first row, and then another group of two. That was what I could see in the lore bowl. Joining us now, someone who has a vested interest in the opposing team. Brett Wilson. You may know him from Dragon's Den. He's also part owner of the Predators and is in town for the game. Mr. Wilson, good morning to you, sir. It is a great morning. I'm on my way to Winnipeg in about another half hour, and I'm looking forward to tonight very much. Well, I got two out of three things that I love about you. Mm. Well, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. Well, even one, if we're one out of three, we're doing fine. We are one out of three because the <laughs> Dragon's Den uh, appeared on the Dragon's Den the first season. I really wish I would have got to meet you, and I'll, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But you're from Saskatchewan, and you own part of the Predators. We're, we're off to a rocky start here, Brad, I got to tell you. My first NHL quality game was, in fact, in Winnipeg in 1974. We landed tickets on the ice. My dad and I went and watched Bobby Hull. Now, this might be before you were born, so Mm -mm. it might be irrelevant to you, but it was a pretty cool experience. We're actually going to have Ulf Nielsen on the program in a couple hours' time here. Of course, a member of the hotline along with Bobby Hull and Anders Hedberg. So uh, not that you need redemption from me, Mr. Wilson, but uh, you have received it without doubt. So talk about this. How did you get involved in an ownership stake as part of the the Predators? In the uh, early 2000s, I had gotten into negotiations with the Calgary Flames, and then when the strike or lockout occurred in 2000, I think it was four, those negotiations went sideways, and Clay Riddell said, I'll buy it all, and so he stepped in, and I was watching. And it was fine, because I'd learned a little bit about the contracts, the the operating agreement, all the things you have to do to be an NHL owner. A couple years later, I'm in Nashville, the very first night ever at a business meeting, and to get talking to someone, and it turns out his family was part of the new ownership group. They were buying from Craig Leopold. turns out someone had dropped out of the group that morning. And I hadn't been in Nashville three hours when the opportunity came along, and I knew how scarce those opportunities are. Most clubs are not so much community-owned, but individual-owned, whether it's a Thompson or an Aquilini or, um, or Maple Leaf Sports or the Molsons, whatever. It's very rare that you're going to have an opportunity. So I jumped on it. Nobody expected um, sort of the turn in a southern market like we achieved, um, but I was still, I knew that it was a worthwhile effort. And would you, how would you describe Nashville as a hockey town from your observation? Are they truly now a hockey town? We've sold out over 100 games in a row. We've had no trouble filling the arena for the last five years. The previous owner had constantly said, if you don't come and watch hockey, I'm going to move the club. The new ownership group came in and said, we're here to stay, would sure welcome your, would sure welcome your support. And the community came around us. But it took three or four years of grassroots efforts, constantly going out, to, as our management said, to rotary clubs and, uh, and high schools to explain what hockey was. And it worked. Yeah, yeah, you're building a, your customer base one at a time, and and owning a, a, a sports team seems almost contradictory to the normal uh, ethics and and uh, ethos of business in my mind. Because you're not supposed to be emotional about the business. You're supposed to be able to separate when you're buying a stock or investing in something and look at the bottom line. Is this why entrepreneurs get involved in sport from that point of view, uh, well, Brett? If you sat in on an owner's meeting, you'd understand that we do get emotional. And it's about the money, about the contracts, about the marketing. You know, the two guys that run the National Predators, Jeff Gogan's now retired, but they came from Barnum and & Bailey and Ringling Brothers, Sean Henry, 
uh, who's in your good city right now, is an extraordinary marketer. And so when you separate the ownership group and management doing all the off-ice things and let a guy like David Poyle or uh, Chevaldeoff do their job, just get out of the way. That's been our approach as owners. Now, Brett, you were a judge on the show Dragon's Den for seasons three to five. Greg alluded to the fact that he made an appearance on season one, and Greg, you were going to tell him something yeah, about well, your appearance. Well, I'm just reading uh, up on, on your on your experiences, uh, Brett, and I can tell you that I had two babies in the NICU when I went to Toronto to film the episode. I wanted to share that story with the Dragons. Also, wanted to really, really strike home and and tell. Kevin O'Leary and the gang that, hey, we're not necessarily here for money because we'd never seen the show before. It never aired. We were here for guidance. We were here for support. We had an idea that we thought had some merit. And what we were looking for was a mentor as much as an investor. And I think that that was part of the the show that, that bothered you eventually, that it was all about the money, basically having someone come and gift wrap a business for you to invest in versus the other side of it. Well, there was certainly a frustration level building for me in that CBC had promised a lot of follow-up on the deals that were done, and that wasn't happening. But part of it was that I was doing about 80% of the deals. And so if they were to celebrate the deals, they'd be celebrating me. When they did a follow-up show, they once referred to it, and then the dragon invested, and then the dragon invested. So they took us and neutered it right out, which wasn't really the expectation in writing or handshake. But remember, the show has done more to plant seeds of entrepreneurship, to contain and continue the thought that each of us has a bit of an entrepreneur within us. The original hunters, trappers, farmers, fur traders, the people that opened up Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, that spirit's still alive. And I think we just had to to plant, uh, to fertilize it and water it. And that's what Dragon's Den did. Lots of stupid comments. I can't invest in you because you have no sales. Well, a startup has no sales. I can't invest in you because I want 51% of your business. Who's going to, what entrepreneur is going to give up half their company on the first day to some stranger? It doesn't happen. But again, it's all about TV. And for me, it was all about business. Brett, uh, outstanding to uh, make your acquaintance this way. Uh, I won't wish you luck tonight. I just hope you have a great time. And uh, we have lots of white towels in the arena tonight. Uh, they're, they're good for waving and also uh, drying tears as well. Well, let's remember there's two things we want. One is to keep it safe and healthy. And the second is to have fun. And that's really all we're about. You got it, brother. Thanks for this, Brett. Okay. Take care, guys. 744 on 680 CJOB. Brett Wilson. You may know the name from Dragon's Den. He is part owner of the Nashville Predators and will be in town tonight for Game 4. There could be a lot of people taking tomorrow, taking tomorrow morning off work, that is, and a lot of others showing up with bleary eyes because the Jets game tonight has that later start time, 8.30 p.m. Now, not everyone has the option of taking tomorrow off work, so how can you watch all of the game and still be... Well rested, somewhat rested, we'll find out for tomorrow. We've decided to reach out to a good friend of the show, Dr. Diana McMillan. She's a sleep expert at the University of Manitoba, where she's an associate professor. She's also a big Jets fan. Good morning, Dr. McMillan. Oh, good morning. I'm definitely a big Jets fan. (laughs) So what are you going to do to get ready for tonight's game? Uh, Well, I'm uh, certainly trying to get a lot of rest 
you know, bank have uh, been banking rough. So I got to bed uh, earlier yesterday, and uh, you know, it's you know, there's a lot of um, a lot of fun, and the team is great, and the fans are are really wonderful. So um, we want to cheer hard, and if we have to go the distance, uh, we'll stay up. But that does mean we're likely going to be either a little tired or a lot tired. Um, and we have to recognize that that causes uh, some impairment because this is a, a long series and we've got lots of games left and we need everybody to be um, healthy for a long time. So some things to keep in mind um, when you are tired um, is that it causes a lot of impairment. So our, we're more forgetful. Our reaction time is slower. Uh, we don't think uh, as clearly. Problem solve as well. We're more irritable. Um, and, and more easily insulted. So we need to sort of uh, take it easy, uh, sort of be uh, not let try to let things not get to us. Um, uh, take it easy on the roads, for example. And so if you're uh, driving a car or a bike or or walking, you know we should really consciously make sure that we're checking twice before uh, we change lanes or cross the street or uh, these kinds of things, just because. You know, we're not as alert and other drivers aren't either. Um, so a couple of other things that are helpful is actually to eat breakfast. Um, maybe a cup of coffee, a cup of tea or something uh, might help you because uh, there's some adenosine in that coffee. Um, and one of the things, uh, one of the toxins that builds up as we sleep is um, adenosine. So that's a adenosine antagonist. That will give us a little bit of a perk. Um, also drinking water during the day on Friday uh, helps to flush out any toxins that we might have built up on uh, this evening. But also helps to uh, relieve fatigue. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, and also um, trying not to drink too much coffee because uh, you're, you may have trouble sleeping later on. Um, a couple of other things to consider uh, if you're really tired, uh, especially, um, you know, you may find that you're quite sleepy after lunch or right around lunchtime. So if you can, during your break, take a 20, 10 to 20-minute nap. You can you know, rest on your desk or if you have a yoga mat or something, just even lie down, set your alarm so you don't you know, sleep, sleep all afternoon. <laughs> but, um, but that can really help. And it's not that it's going to replace your lost sleep, but it helps to reduce something called your homeostatic drive, which is basically the longer you've stayed up, the more sleepy you are you'll get. And it's a very, very powerful drive. And so it'll help you basically sort of power through the rest of the afternoon. And if you're still feeling really tired later in the afternoon, I um, would recommend taking a brisk walk or even consider a walk meeting. Uh, that was something they do at the Mayo Clinic, actually, is they take walk meetings if they have a, a meeting to do. Um, and they um, and I would do that instead of a nap because, again, um, related to homeostatic drive, if you have a nap too late in the afternoon, you're going to find it hard to sleep at night. So, you know, take it easy on the way home. Um, and, uh, you know, have, have fun tonight, uh, but there's lots of games left and, and we need all the fan uh, support. Um, so it should be really fun. Dr. Diana McMillan just basically running through the gamut there and giving us all the advice, all the things that we can do preemptively. And if you're finding yourself a little bit sleepy on how to deal with that, Dr. McMillan, uh, this is, uh, we've got about 45 seconds here, so this will be a shorter answer if you can. This whole idea of carrying the stress of what's building up and not to mention, I mean, I don't even want to mention the possibility of the Jets not winning tonight, but should that happen, all the things that you discussed that could be risk factors for our state of mind and our mood tomorrow may be somewhat elevated. 
Yes, it, exactly. Um, and so, you know, it would be really helpful, actually, to try to get outside. I, can't, I don't know, you'll have to uh, check with your colleagues what the weather's going to be like, but to get outside and get some exercise. And, and actually, there was a report yesterday that came out um, that was really quite clear that exercise really helps to elevate your mood, you know, reduce depression and things like that. So if the worst case scenario happens, um, you know, we need to all get out and we know that the jet can come back. So we just have to stay positive and, and we, all, you know, we can um, help improve our own moods by getting out, getting some exercise and then making sure we get well rested uh, before the next game. And uh, Dr. McMillan, I guess we have maybe 30 seconds here, just very quickly. You mentioned the 10-minute nap. Is that like, I kind of liken that to like a a reboot, like powering down your computer. Is that sort of the equivalent? Yes. And so one of the things that, um, uh, one of the things that actually happens, they discovered a few years ago, is that we actually have these channels that go deep into our brain. It's called a a glimpse. Uh, lymphatic system and they are closed when we're awake and so they only open when we're asleep and so it's a way for us to sort of get a fresh um, you know uh, a a removal of toxins in our brain and sort of a a fresh reboot as it were uh, physiologically um, to our brain so you're not going to have a huge amount happening in 10 to 20 minutes but it will take the edge off your uh, fatigue and it improves your ability to sort of be more alert, be more vigilant. Um, and as I said, it'll, it may help you power through the afternoon. Um, and if you're still feeling, you know, sort of laggy, get up, you know, try to walk around um, and, uh, you know, even taking a, a five minute walk around the break, uh, you know, break room or, or a walk around the block um, should help you, uh, you know, to uh, have enough energy to, to get through the action. But then remember that on the drive home, you know, you're not going to be as alert either. So just to really, you know, be mindful. And, you know, if the guy cuts you off. You know what, Dan, speaking of, <laughs> you use the right terminology. I have to cut you off, Dr. McMillan, okay. because we are fresh out of time. But thank you so much well, for joining us. We love visiting with you. Okay, take care then. A Canadian soccer star has been barred from playing in the Premier Development League in Canada. Stephanie LeBay says that despite Calgary Foothills FC saying she was good enough to play on their team, she won't be allowed to play in their league because she's a woman. Lauren Pullen of Global News in Calgary tells us more. She's a household name in the world of soccer. Stephanie Labe, one of the top goalies in Canada. My most memorable moment is stepping on the podium in Rio and, and winning that bronze medal. To reach the top of her game, an entirely new challenge, playing in the Premier Development Men's League. You know, I'm playing against stronger players and faster players and facing shots that are, are harder than so many that I've faced. So. Um, it's really challenging me and pushing me to my technical limits. Oh no! Labe now calling Calgary home, earning a spot on the Foothills soccer roster. There's no question she's got the skill. There's a reason she's got 50 caps for Canada and played in Olympics or World Cup. She's world class. Not to mention the grit. And she's great. I think she uh, bust up her finger in one of the practices and went, <coughs> put it back in. We're like, and I think that was it there. The guy's like, she is tough. But even though she's made the team, she's not allowed to play. The league issuing a statement to the Canadian press saying, like virtually all our peer leagues around the world, the PDL has gender-based eligibility requirements, which we applied consistently in this case. Labe can practice and play exhibition games, but she's barred from suiting up for any league matches. 
for the league to then come back and say that you know it's not possible because I'm a female uh, it's a tough pill to swallow it's that's not something that I can control as my gender we consider her part of the team um, whether she gets to play in the league appearances is a different matter but right now we we see her as, as one of us and while she's now eyeing overseas to be able to hit the pitch this season, she's vowing she won't give up on playing in the men's league here on home turf. And I want to fight this fight because there's so many young girls out there and, you know, I, I know that it, this is short term and the fight probably won't help me for this season, but, you know, for, for that young girl who's maybe watching this exact interview or has been following the journey that, you know, wants to do this one day, I, I'm going to fight it for her. Lauren Pullen, Global News. What a missed opportunity on several fronts here. You get a, a woman who's uh, so good at her sport uh, that she is breaking the gender barriers and the league says, no, we're not going to let you play. Absolutely stupid. While Jets fever continues to wash over Winnipeg, there's an, an, there is an exciting event. I'm so excited. I can't even talk about it. For fans coming up Saturday, May 12th, it's the Jets 1977-78 reunion at the Fort Gary Hotel where you can celebrate what some say is the most influential team in hockey history, the 1977-78 Avco Cup champions. The marquee event is a dinner in the Crystal Ballroom at the Fort Gary Hotel, where 15 members of that team will be in attendance. One of those who will be there is Alf Nielsen, and we're going to speak to him in Sweden. We're also joined by the man organizing the event, Jeff Kerbison, author of The Hotline, how the legendary trio of Hull, Hedberg, and Nielsen transformed hockey and led the Winnipeg Jets to greatness. So, Greg, you're the huge Jets fan here. I'll let you start with Alf. Obviously, you never got to play in front of uh, fans all dressed in white and, and in that new rink, but you've been in the downtown arena. We want to go back to 1974, 1975. How did you decide to come to Winnipeg? Well, in the end, it was really an easy decision because being given the opportunity to play with Bobby Hull was an amazing experience and then move to a new country with the uh, Two very good hockey players, Anders Herberg and Lars Erik Schubert, that made my transition so much easier. The Sedine twins just retired. I don't need to tell you that, Ulf. They played 1,300 yeah. games each, plus almost all of them together. Uh, it would seem as though you and Anders Hedberg were like twins on the ice somehow. How well did you understand one another and what was going on in the ice and where each other would be? Well, we never grew up playing together. We never played on the same club team in Sweden. And really, we didn't play together either on the national team. But when we were on the ice with Bobby, it was sort of amazing because we really didn't have to talk about what to do and things like that. We just had our own positions in when we didn't have the puck. But when we got the puck, it was all like... Yeah, Classical music. Jeff Kerbison also on the line, organizer of the 77-78 Jets reunion at the Fort Gary on Saturday, May 12th. Jeff, tell us a little bit about this event. Well, I guess the idea here is just to um, is to celebrate what, uh, what a lot of people believe was the best team in, uh, in Winnipeg history. I know that the current edition might have something to say about that in a few weeks' time. But uh, we're going to have a, a you know, big dinner on the 12th. We've got uh, 15 of uh, the players from that team uh, coming in, uh, some of whom are coming from as far away as uh, Stockholm and Helsinki. And uh, 
we're going to have uh, you know we're, the highlight will be I guess having a Q and A with the audience. We're going to have um, have everybody come up on stage. Uh, we're going to have a live auction of a lot of memorabilia from uh, from the players on that team, and uh, it, it really should. Be, I've been telling people that I think it'll be a, be a time machine for everybody because they'll. There'll be so many stories going back and forth that uh, for people like me will be uh, will be you know nine year old kids all over again. Well, you mentioned nine year olds, and uh, it was two days prior to my ninth birthday, Ulf, that you and Anders played your last game as Winnipeg Jets, and uh, wrapping up your second Avco Cup championship in three seasons. How hard was it to leave Winnipeg? I remember you going on the television with Scott Oak on the news to announce that, that you were moving on to the New York Rangers. It was uh, devastating news to someone my age at the time, someone that had grown up with you. In fact, my na- my dog was named after you. Our dog was named Nilsson. So uh, you were a big part of our family. How hard was it to leave Winnipeg after all? Well, it was very hard. The only problem we had really with that uh, team was that Bobby was already... 39 when we left and I was done playing hockey when I was 32 so um, yeah it would have been amazing if if uh, Bobby would have been uh, 10 10 years younger so uh, we would have had so many more great years together but I I think we won two cups in our four years and lost to Quebec Nordiques in the seventh game our third year. So it, it's always hard to leave something that uh, you really have had a lot of fun and being so well received that we were from the Jets fans and all the people in Winnipeg. So it's always hard to to move from a place like that. But we needed a new challenge, I think. Well, you took that on in full effect with the New York Rangers and, uh, you know, taking the Rangers to the Stanley Cup final in 1979 against uh, Montreal was a, a big deal and uh, was was tough to watch you guys work work in other jerseys, even though they were in the, the same colors, which was made it a, a tiny bit easier. Hey, just a few names for you to reflect on quickly, if you would, Ulf, maybe unfairly too quick. Uh, the first few words that come to mind when you hear the names, if you don't mind, uh, let's start with Lars Eric Schoberg. An awesome defenseman, probably one of the best that ever played the game. And unfortunately, Lars Eric Schoberg died way too early. How about Don Baisley? Don Baisley is probably the best hockey management person or whatever you call it he was not like uh, like an agent today he is just an amazing individual and he was always looking at all sides of the business it's not just the player you're representing it's a responsibility you have if you're going to make a lot of money are you willing to take that responsibility and he was always looking at it from the management side, and he always had the fans in mind because they're the ones that are going to pay for everything. I don't know. I can't say enough about good things about Don because he was like a father for me because I lost my father when I was 13. He died the same age as Lasse Schuberg, as 43-year-old. So both Bobby 
uh, Bobby Hull and Don Basley were my sort of mentors and role models when I was in Winnipeg. How about Gordy Howe? Yeah, really nice guy off the ice. (laughs) (laughs) Good way to put it. Speaking with former Winnipeg Jet Ulf Nielsen and Jeff Kerbison, author of The Hotline, How the Legendary Trio of Hull, Hedberg and Nielsen transformed hockey and led the Winnipeg Jets to greatness. We're talking about the reunion of the 1977-78 Avco Cup champion Winnipeg Jets happening Saturday, May 12th at the Fort Gary. Jeff, is it sold out? No, no, there's still tickets available. Um, you know, it's being, it's not being done by True North or anything. So it's, uh, you know, it's being done by me and a couple other, you know, non-event planners. So, um, uh, people can get tickets by just uh, searching on Facebook for uh, Winnipeg Jets 1978 reunion. Uh, there's an Eventbrite site you can go on there and and search for it. Uh, so they're starting to go though, and I, I tell you that uh, that the, the the deeper the Jets go into the playoffs here, um, you know the, the the more interest is, is happening. And as soon as and you know for a lot of people who are kind of you know my age and older, as soon as they uh, they they think back to some of the stories we've heard from from Wolf that. Um, I think they're getting a little, little bit more excited about it because that those those memories have, have stuck with everybody for for 40 years now, and uh, a lot of the, the a lot of those players uh, have been very gracious over the years by by talking to everybody and 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 kind of reliving those things uh, with everybody, and uh, so there's I, I think there's a good buzz going here and people are getting excited about it. Ulf, before we let you go, I, I just have to thank you on behalf of an entire generation of hockey fans here in Winnipeg for, for giving what you gave, not only on the ice, but off the ice. Your ability to connect with the fans of Winnipeg, I can only imagine a lot of that came from Bobby, but you always had time to sign an autograph and, and uh, to share some, some words with the fans. How, how important was that to you personally? Well, that's what Bobby Hall always yeah, talked about really don't ever forget who's paying your salary and he was a master at that it, it, I guess it, it's so much harder nowadays with all these trading shows and a lot of people are trying to make money or photographs for the players today to do the same that Bobby did because he could stay an hour or two after a game on the road and sign for everybody and that's to me you're only going to be as good as the people you surround yourself with and Bobby was a great example of that Jeff thank you for bringing this and bringing all these uh, incredible players these memories together coming up May 12th at the Fort Gary Hotel uh, the Facebook page uh, as you mentioned and uh, somebody want to reach out to you directly to get tickets is there a way to do that? Yeah they can do that on Twitter it's just I'm just at Jeff Kirbyson and uh, we can figure it out from there too Ulf, all the best. I know you've got a birthday coming up not too far down the road here, so I'll wish you a happy birthday early, and uh, thanks for uh, being friends on Facebook and being accessible all these years later. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you very much. I'm looking forward to go to Winnipeg. Ulf Nielsen, thank you very much for joining us today on 680 CJOB. As 
along with Jeff Kerbison, author of The Hotline, how the legendary trio of Hall, Hedberg, and Nielsen transformed hockey and led the Winnipeg Jets to greatness. Brett Wilson earlier referenced, and I had a big smile on my face when he said, oh, you might not be old enough to remember this. And I thought... <laughs> I'm glad I am old enough to remember it. Yeah. 1974, I don't know if it was 74, 75, so he may have seen the... The hotline together, that was their first year when Alfin Anders, along with Lars Eric Schoberg and Kurt Larson and Mats Lynn, Dan LeBratton, uh, Winnipeg really did break down the barrier between Europe and the national, what eventually the National Hockey League, they did it via the, the WHA. There were a couple of, of Europeans in the NHL, but I think the Jets at one point may have had as many Europeans on one team as all the National Hockey League teams combined. It was a magical time for hockey, and uh, thank you to Jeff for creating this celebration coming up May 12th. The Manitoba Nurses Union will soon have a new president to represent its over 12,000 nurses of all designations across the province. The MNU has elected Darlene Jackson to take over for Union President Sandy Moet for a two-year term beginning July 1st. President-elect joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Darlene Jackson, good morning. How are you? I am well. How are you? Doing quite well. So this this appointment as the president-elect for the Nurses Union, I guess, uh, first of all, how, uh, how do you feel about it? I am very excited. I am am very excited. It's uh, something that... uh, I uh, have thought about for many years, and um, it just happened at the right time for me. And it is just—I'm very excited. I think it's going to be a—I think it's going to be a great, great challenge. Well, what would your what's your first priority here, Dar- Darlene, as you embark on this uh, on this journey? Well, one, I, 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 my first priority is to transition into the job. I guess um, so. I'll be spending some time with Sandy Mowat. And I think that I, um, my plan is to continue the work MNU is doing um, and the work Sandy Mowat has been doing, speaking out on issues uh, regarding patient care. Um, as nurses, are, are one of our main roles is to advocate for safe, quality patient care. And uh, that's what I do as a frontline nurse uh, at present. And that's what I'm planning to do on a much larger scale across this province. And... Um, Looking at getting back to the bargaining table would be very helpful. I would love to get back to the bargaining table. I've bargained on the Provincial Collective Bargaining Committee for over 20 years for the Northern nurses, so that's um, a skill I have a lot of comfort with. I'd really like to get back to the bargaining table and get a fair fair contract for nurses. What has led you to see, because I see that you've been quite active uh, in the union for a long time, you're, at, you're clearly activism-driven. What drives that for you? I, am, uh, I, I believe in social justice. I believe that um, every patient deserves safe, quality care. It doesn't matter where you live in this province. It doesn't matter who you are. You, believe, you deserve and should have safe quality care and part of my union activism has always been to support nurses where they are being supported by the employer and the government to provide safe quality care and i just i mnu has been doing a great job sandy moat has been speaking out so well on our behalf and i just 
I thought it was really important to carry that on and to continue to have a really strong voice advocating for patients. Is patient safety at risk in your mind? I'm a frontline nurse, and that's who I work with. I, my, uh, my immediate contacts are frontline nurses, and yes, I believe, I believe patient safety is an issue. I believe there's many, many occasions where nurses feel they are not able to provide safe patient care, and that is our goal. Our goal is always to ensure that patients receive safe care. High-quality care is, is the standard that I personally meet, and I know that the nurses in Manitoba that is their goal, is to provide high-quality, safe patient care. So what do you think the biggest roadblock then is for that, for not being able to, pro- to provide that kind of care? Well, um, a lot of it has to do with um, uh, a chronic lack of staffing. Um, shifts aren't been filled. Um, sick, sick calls aren't, the shift isn't been filled. Vacancies aren't been filled. And nurses are working chronically uh, short-staffed. And it is very difficult to, and I find it, I find it a little disrespectful to hear that patient care has not suffered. I fail to see how patient care cannot suffer when you are suddenly, you know, due to sick calls, instead of having six patients to care for for a day, you now have 12 patients to care for. It's, it's ludicrous to say that patient care isn't suffering when my workload has doubled, that the amount of time I have to provide that care has uh, hasn't changed i still have the same 12 hours to provide that care so i know nurses on the front lines are struggling every day to provide safe care and i know that sandy moat has been speaking out on this and i would really like to have to be in a position where nurses have some input into the change that's happening in the healthcare. we know of what we speak we advocate for our patients and we are great spokespersons on our patients and the public's behalf, and it would be great to be included in some of those decisions and not find out on the 6 o'clock news what the changes are and how they're going to affect our members. I would like to be right there at the front line with the decision makers when it comes to changes in healthcare. Darlene Jackson is the president-elect of the MNU. She will replace Sandy Mowat for a two-year term. And thanks for your service as a nurse for all these years, Darlene. But uh, this is sort of out of the frying pan and into the fire to a certain extent, is it not? I and mean, this is a high-stress job uh, with with not a lot of thanks, potentially. I am ready. I am ready for this challenge. I am feeling... Uh, Big pair of shoes. Sandy Mowat has done an amazing job over 10 years, and I am so ready for this challenge. I am, I'm, as my granddaughter would say, pumped, ready to go. Well, Darlene, I see you're, you, you've got a long list of credentials here. You served as Secretary-Treasurer of the Manitoba Nurses Union for the past two years, over two decades of experience serving as president of your worksite located in the PAW, and uh, you've also served on the MNU's Provincial Collective Bargaining Committee as the representative for the North. Will you stay in the North? Um, no, I will be relocating to Winnipeg. It's, uh, it was a family decision when um, I made the decision to run, that um, I would uh, be relocating to Winnipeg, so I will be relocating to Winnipeg. This is where I need to be. All right, Darlene Jackson, thank you very much uh, for making our acquaintance this morning. Nice to meet you. Thank you very much. It was nice to meet you. Darlene Jackson is the president-elect of the Manitoba Nurses Union, taking over for Sandy Mowat. Yeah, I just 
talk about a thankless job, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be uh, interesting uh, to see how Darlene Jackson uh, deals with this. Uh, she sounds like a delightful woman. Um, at the end of one career, I, I think I would be more inclined to just put my feet up and and uh, go fishing or go golfing. But yeah. uh, Darlene obviously has a lot of passion about some things that she'd like to see done differently. So we will clearly have some sort of relationship with her for at least the next two years. Yes, and thank you very much once again, to Darlene Jackson, for speaking to us this morning on 680 CJOB. While you were at... The Tri Hospital Dream the Dream Lottery launch. Correct. You were at McHappy Day. Yeah. That's a great event. Annual day of community giving and support of Ronald McDonald Houses, other local children's charities. You're hanging around with famous people yesterday. Yeah, Shannon Cousins was there. Mike Conkin was there. Some Conkin time uh, was there with Andrew Harris from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. One dollar, the mayor, Brian Bowman, one dollar from every Big Mac Happy Meal Hot McCafe beverage purchased yesterday is going to be donated to the cause in support of those Ronald McDonald houses. And a family who has used the Ronald McDonald House was there and spoke with Global's Shannon Cousins. And uh, here's some of their story. Our youngest son, Henry, was, uh, he was born premature. And uh, on April 1st, 2016, he, uh, my wife basically awoke and found him pretty much um, uh, not breathing. So we got him into uh, the resuscitation room at Children's Hospital. And uh, it was awful. They were doing chest compressions and, and the whole nine yards. And um, finally, they got him stabilized. And we were very thankful for what they did. And we got him to, uh, that's when we first got introduced to Ronald McDonald House. And from there, we stayed um, probably about a week, I guess it was, uh, through there. And we were able to be close to Henry in case anything happened. And uh, just a truly remarkable organization. You know, you're, you're allowed to focus on, because at that point in time, we had tunnel vision, you know, and, and you're allowed to be uh, that close to your family. Uh, so it's just, we can't say enough good things about it. We're truly thankful for everything that they've done. Uh, obviously, McDonald's. Uh, contributes a lot of money and funding to Ronald McDonald House and as well as Ronald McDonald House does a lot of uh, funding and donations by themselves. So having a day such as McHappy Day, obviously, um, you know, that affords a lot of families just such as ourselves to be, um, you know, staying at Ronald McDonald House and keeps that, you know, keeps that house functioning. So that is TJ Spruitt and you can read more of his family's story at R mhcmanitoba.org. I also got to have a little bit of fun yesterday for McHappy Day. So I get to call out number 987. Order number 987. Number 987. No one's coming. They don't like me. I have to go yeah. through here? Wow. I had to carry so, it out. Okay, so where, where am I going? Are you number 987? Uh, no. Ew, here you go. No, it's All right, thank you. <laughs> Is that the way society's going yeah. now? We're all numbers now? <laughs> Are you number 987? Right. I think the, the digits and the, and the amount of numbers and letters will be much longer than three. Because our morning hasn't been delightful enough. Jessica LaRusso is an entrepreneur who built several million-dollar businesses. She's come to grace us with her presence this morning. She knows firsthand how to achieve business success and profit and has made it her mission to help other business owners succeed. As mentioned, she's in studio with us this morning. Jessica, wonderful to see you again. Wonderful to see you two gentlemen again. Thank you for doing this because, you know, we had the honor to speak to Brett Wilson, one of the, uh, well, he was on the Dragon's Den for, for three years and we didn't really get to talk about entrepreneurship. One of the passionate uh, 
subjects that Brett and I like to visit with uh, with a variety of guests upon. Uh, what's your overall philosophy in in terms of entrepreneurship? As a former restaurant guy, for me, it was <laughs> it was really just about hospitality and treating others the way you'd like to be treated. I know that's an oversimplification, but sometimes simple is better. Well, I agree with you, and I think entrepreneurship comes from the heart and who you are and and what your bones are made of. And when you talk about um, treat others as they want to be treated, and that's a golden rule that, that we all know about. But if you look at it as a civility perspective, you've got to look at treat those the way they want to be treated. And when we talk about service, because I've been in the service industry for quite a long time, if I can say over 23 years. You can say. Telling my age. But you know what? I wear that with a badge. I'm not embarrassed to say I've got experience and, and I love what I do. But when you approach a job or any situation with heart and with service in mind, you have um, just a, a big gold star above your head, if I can say that. So when I talk about entrepreneurship, I talk about service. I talk about doing things genuinely. And also there are some people who have that uh, within themselves, but then, you know, there are people who just in, who can't handle that entrepreneurship because you got to remember, as you know, being in the restaurant industry, that's a tough gig. Well, you have to be a chameleon, but you also have to be an evangelist to a certain extent, right? You have to believe what you're doing. Otherwise, it comes across as insincere. insincere. <laughs> Unauthentic. I am ready to uh, to, to uh, have my day end, but this is the this is something that, that that I've always taken as the biggest compliment is when somebody would look at me and say, "Do you own part of this place?" <laughs> because they could tell that you were engaged in the product or the service you were delivering. Right, and you love what you do, and you have passion, and you and you want to be helpful, and you want to be there, and it it shows. Um, in your body language, it shows in the way you think, the way you speak, the way you're communicating to people. So people can tell right off the bat whether you're authentic or not, whether you're there for them or not, or whether you're just, uh, here, give me your money and go away, right? Which is the worst place to be. And those businesses never, never, never succeed. Jessica LaRusso is our guest. Powered Profit, powered by Jessica. The website, poweredprofit.com. And uh, you mentioned off the top that nice to see us again. Yes. We'll explain the context of that in a moment. But uh, one of the reasons we're here is you pointed out to us, hey, I wrote this book. It just came out a couple of months ago called Be Believable, How to Build a Credible Business. Why is believability? (laughs) See, I can't speak either. That's okay. Um, It's contagious. Why is is. believability so important for your business and career? Well, you know, the reason why I bought or bought, the reason why I wrote that book was it was actually something that came from the heart from when I was a child growing up in northwestern Ontario, if I can say that, in the middle of nowhere, where um, just because of the situation that that I was dealt with, I had to find a way to make connections with people, figure out how to do things. In fact, my first job in a flower shop, I got fired from because I didn't want to answer the phone. And it's not that I didn't want to answer the phone. I'm serious. I was scared of the phone and Mm. I was scared of the phone because we didn't have a phone growing up. I think the first time I used a phone was when I was 16. 
So I actually had to learn how to make connections with people, how to uh, communicate with them, how to show in my body language that I wanted to um, help them. I had to learn all of those things rather than something that I learned as a child growing up. You have to be prepared to engage, right? Exactly. I didn't have those skills. So that particular book was from my heart. Now, uh, your question was, remind me again, because I got distracted. (laughs) (laughs) Why is the the importance of believability? Why is it so important? Okay, so it's important because if, if you... If people don't believe that you're authentic, you may feel that way. That may be your intent. But if you do not communicate it by either your presence, your body language, um, the way you communicate, your your appearance, for example, you're gonna not you're not gonna make that connection. And in fact, my my motto is: without believability, there is no sale. Without believability, there is no opportunity. And without be- believability, there is no business. So you're in trouble. You have to make that connection. And I can, if we you know want to talk even further and bring stats into it, when we look at uh, research done by Harvard University. of your success uh, in your personal life and your business life is due to human engineering, meaning your people skills, your soft skills. So what I've done with believability is that I've taken nine different elements and actually made them measurable so that you can work on, even though you're the most wonderful person in the world, it's a way that you can communicate body, mind, and soul that you can show people how wonderful you are. And really, that's the message that I want to tell people is that you're great. You're amazing. Tell the world. You know, and I always used to hire based on that in the restaurant world. I used to hire people that I could mold and teach, right? Yes. They, they had to have passion. They used to, just uh, that je ne sais quoi, yes. something about them that would resonate with people. It could teach all the technical stuff. But on the flip side, when you have some inherent skills, when you have those soft skills that are so desirable, this is an opportunity. This is a checklist. This is a book that can help me take advantage full fully of the skills that I have and to develop the skills that I need to be successful in business and combine the two. Absolutely. Both personally and professionally. And even honing in on that client experience. So you can deal with yourself. You can also um, look at definite believability, which deals with your competence and skills. And then you can look at reputational believability, which, which deals with the reputation of you when they uh, inquire about you maybe look at your website to uh, an ongoing uh, assessment when they leave your when they leave your business or your restaurant. Tell us about Zealous Medispa. Okay, so Zealous Medispa was the love of my life. Well, one of the loves of my life because I've had two businesses here in uh, Winnipeg. I'm I'm uh, a uh, spa and salon lady, and uh, that is a business that I started in 2004. I sold in 2014. It's still going. It's still doing very very well. But I built. I, I'm a pioneer. I build things from the ground up, and then. I mold them in a certain way. I make them successful. And then I go, okay, what's next? And then I sell them. And (laughs) it's just something that I love to do. If you, we've got one life to live and you've got to do what's in your heart. And I guess I'm an internal entrepreneur. In fact, my first job or first business was a recycling business. I picked up bottles on the side of the road when I was seven. 
save my nickels and dimes. So I always tell that story. I used to knock on doors and do the same thing. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And that's how I paid for drumsticks and tennis balls. And your stuff. And stuff. And stuff. Yeah, at six, seven years old. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what we did. Exactly. So, and what's wrong with that? What is wrong with with doing the right thing and, and making a living. There's nothing wrong with that at all. So um, Zealous was an amazing business that I uh, built into a successful business that still runs today and is doing extremely well. So I'm a little prideful of that. It's uh, well, fantastic. You be. Mm-hmm. Now you, uh, you, had, uh, you have a particular challenge that you deal with when it comes to your writing. Uh-huh. Um, you are dyslexic. So yes, I actually failed grade two. I know that we don't we don't fail children anymore, but I failed great too because I just couldn't read, I couldn't speak, I couldn't I just couldn't do it, and I had to repeat that particular grade. And one one thing is is that one thing that I've always said to myself is that nothing is impossible. Sometimes you may not have the talent or the or that particular superpower, but you can try and you can find people to help you. So with this book, um, I had an editor go through it twice. And um, made sure that it flowed, made sure that everything worked. Because you say, oh, I don't pronounce things properly. I, you're being so sweet because you should see me when I speak. And when I do speak and do keynotes, I make sure I tell people that, uh, you know, I do apologize right now. I'm dyslexic. I stutter. I, you know, will make some pronunciation mistakes. Please forgive me. Let's move on and get to the information. We do need to remind people of how we, Greg and I know you. Ah. I met you for the first time a couple of Saturdays ago. You got it. At the Cornflower Ball for the ALS Society of Manitoba. You're the president of the ALS Society of Manitoba. I am. A little love of my life. And, you know, I love that organization. They do so much great work there. They're one of the, I believe they're one of the only organizations that actually will have client services. They actually service their 352 um, people um, inflicted with ALS uh, right now. The numbers are going up. But we have Brummett Feesby House as well to help people with ALS so people have a place to go. And it's such a wonderful organization. Uh, they have a small staff. They work so very hard. So it's it's important that, you know, I pick that organization, even though I have never been personally uh, affected by ALS. I have nobody in, in my uh, circle with ALS. But the people there work hard, and I wanted to make a contribution that was going to be really be heartfelt. That wasn't just throwing money out of a at a problem. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be in, rolling up my sleeves and working with them. The book is called "Be Believable: How to Build a Credible Business." Entrepreneurs can build a credible business. People can trust. It's by Jessica Larusso. This is your second book. Yes. What's the first book? <laughs> um, inspiring growth. And it's about the, the, I wrote a chapter in there about persistence pays because, you know, you got to keep going. Where can you buy these books? Uh, Amazon.com, Kindle paperback. Uh, just pick it up there and they'll send it to you with a smile. And your website is poweredprofit.com. Uh, it's Powered Profit, which is powered by Jessica LaRusso. Hey, thanks for coming in to talk to us today. Thank you. It's an honor. You guys are wonderful. You're a spark plug, Jessica. Thank you for that. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Channel Lee Vandal. And thank you for listening to CJOB. Mm-hmm.